The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I'm Dave Goldberg and I'm your show host. And Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag BigBeacon. Our, our first segment is sponsored by the book that is transforming higher education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And today we're, we're blessed to be uh, joined by Melanie Cornejo at, uh, at UTech in Lima, Peru. Welcome to the show, Melanie. Hello. Thank you very much. Uh, really happy to have you here, and, and um, uh, Melanie, as you may know, we like to, before we jump into talking about transformation and so forth, we like to get to know our guests a little bit, and uh, you're a, a, a scholar, uh, uh, degrees from uh, some of the, the best names in higher education, you've been a consultant, and now you're an academic leader at a at a, a, a new school on the world stage, but let's uh, go back in the time machine. What were some of the early influences that put you on your current path? Uh, okay, so I think that the most important influence for me has definitely been my undergraduate uh, experience at MIT, mm. uh, where I was exposed to both the academic and the research side, but I was able to interact with with scholars and with academics uh, from different backgrounds, and they re- they really inspired me, and and that's why after going through different paths like consulting and other things that that you have mentioned, I decided to come back to to academia to really try to make a difference here in the country and regionally. Now, now your degrees are in immunology, and what 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 kind of role did you play as a consultant? So that was really a, a change in path. Um, so after my my PhD, I decided that uh, I wanted to learn more about the business world and the real world, so to speak. And yes. I had the opportunity to become a consultant uh, right after my my PhD at the Boston Consulting Group. 
And yeah. there I really started doing strategy consulting for pharma companies and the health sector in general, but then I, I also started working in different sectors and different industries. And when I moved back to Peru, I, I switched to a different consulting firm, a smaller scale firm mm-hmm. uh, locally here, but I was doing consulting in, in many different industries. And it was really a good way to come back to my country learn about what had happened and what was going on in, in many different sectors in the industry, and it really opened my eyes um, yeah. to the reality here. Well, that's interesting. And what, and, uh, what did those experiences in consulting, um, what did you learn from those experiences that you now use as an educator? <sighs> So I think that one of uh, one of the things, the most important things that I learned was to look at the big picture and really all the different aspects that were involved in in making new decisions and trying to uh, develop a new product or innovate in, in any given field um, and to really organize or, or or plan ahead in terms of the design and launch or implementation of that program or whatever we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's very broad, but it really helped me to uh, move from something very specific uh, that I was doing research-wise during my PhD to really having uh, a big picture of everything that, that I wanted to do or that, hmm. that the company wanted to do. Yeah, and so as it was you know, basically a change oh, I'm, of I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, 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 it was, it was definitely a change of, of the scope of, of the things that I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe, we've, maybe we've already touched on it, but on this show in particular, uh, you know, Mark Somerville and I wrote in A Whole New Engineer about the centrality of unleashing experiences in modern education. How do we... We live in a world full of possibilities and full of change. How do we unleash people to move from um, um, from things that are 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 more routine and and targeted to things that are more open ended and exploratory? And so, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there are people in our lives that help us have that attitude or. Uh, a particular individual gives us uh, the trust so that we have the courage to do something different. And, and your path is, a, is an unusual one. So what, what experiences in your life or individuals in your life have helped you to have the courage to go your own way? Yes, I think that there have been several people, definitely, and each in their own way have influenced me and helped me uh, unleash these experiences, as, as you mm. say. Um, going back to, to my uh, years at MIT, I think that, that my undergraduate mentor uh, really gave me the, the courage and, and empowered me to do things or to think differently, right? So when I got there, coming from a, a completely different country, um, basically first time living abroad and away from my family. Uh, yep. He really, from the get-go, encouraged me to to maybe um, question the paradigms that I came with and really uh, be able or be, be cur- courageous enough to, to switch direction. So my, my original plan was to go to the U.S. for four years and then 
come back uh, to Peru and work here and and he started questioning these these ideas and he said why would you do that uh you're doing well in school you're doing well in in your research program why don't you explore uh phd programs or working in 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 a different industry here in the us and that's when i started exploring that and then it was just a natural step for me to go for a phd and the same thing happened uh during my phd i had a very open minded um uh, PI or advisor there who yeah. who never limited me and he was always saying oh just look at all the different options that you have now and and you just have to be um, courageous enough to to explore these options. Yeah, so I'm hearing that you know these people played a role in believing in you and and uh, and questioning some of the assumptions and and you headed you headed in in those directions to the. Uh, which was a different direction than you had anticipated. And so part of that journey, uh, I, I think if I have the dates right, in 2015 you joined what was then a fairly new engineering school in, in Lima, Peru, UTEC, Universidad de Ingeniería y Tecnología. And what mm-hmm. motivated you? It was a startup at, at the time. It hadn't been in existence very long, if I'm not mistaken. What what motivated you to start a join a startup school? <laughs> yes, uh, so I think it was uh, sort of an existential crisis that I went through after almost six years in the consulting world. I started questioning myself and and um, started thinking if what I was doing for these different companies and these in these different sectors really had an impact and really was really causing. Uh, uh, an important change in, in society and in the country and ultimately in the world. And that's when I decided that I really wanted to do something in education and, and this opportunity came up and I really, uh, from the beginning, shared the vision and watched the, the building go up because it was very close to the to my previous work. Um, so I started inquiring more. I started talking to people that were already involved in the project, and it really uh, motivated me. And, and it was very inspirational for me to be able to be a part of this. And that's that's when I joined initially to launch the first bioengineering program in the country for them. But was yeah was that was that it? The uh, I mean, so with your degrees and so forth, it should have been. Fairly easy to find, um, you know. Maybe even at you know there, there there are schools that are considered the traditional um, powerhouses in in uh, Peru, Católica, and others. And and it should have been possible for you to find a if there were jobs available, a job. So what was it about a startup that was attractive? Not so easy, actually. I I was. I was initially hmm. looking for these traditional schools, yeah. but being that traditional, they were looking for hardcore academics, you know, with the uh, normal path or track uh-huh. of, okay, undergrad, PhD, postdoc, maybe some years of experience in, in academia, and then moving to, to their schools, and that was definitely not uh, my life. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, it was it was actually hard to make a point and to to uh, convince them. Uh, 
that I could actually contribute and, and that my various experiences could actually add uh, to their school, right? So being a startup school and having more of a business mindset in general made it much easier uh, to find a fit, both for them and for me, and it was just, just a natural step. And also because it was a startup and I had all this consulting experience backing me up uh, really helped because I had, I had seen things like these uh, before. Yeah. That's no, very interesting. And so, um, and so anyway, so, so for our listeners who haven't heard of UTech, what, what is UTech about? How old is it? How big is it? Uh, what's its, what's yeah. its mission relative to other, other schools in your country? Yeah, so UTEC, uh, what started, or the idea actually started in 2010, uh, but the school opened its doors in 2012 with the vision of causing a disproportionate change in society by, uh, through a new model in engineering education in, in Peru and broadly uh, in Latin America. And so the vision is to uh, form this new generation of engineers uh, that are holistic, global, uh, problem, problem solvers, um, and that also have these shift skills, as I know you call them, uh, that are so necessary and demanded by today's industries and uh, the problems of the world today and in the future. Yeah, so that's so a... Now yeah, we are, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, go, keep going. Sorry. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. No. so uh, we have about 1,200 students now Another 750 coming in in March because our school year starts in March. Um, and at steady state, we should have around 3,500 students. So we have graduated our first class uh, this past December, a very small class. Uh, but we're very, very proud of, of the outcome and of them, obviously, uh, because they have been part of this uh, construction process and creation process and and. I think it's been tough for them, but also a great learning experience being part of, of a university that is just starting and, and iterating and constantly changing its, its educational model. Yeah, so that's interesting. And so you say it, well, you say it was uh, tough on them. How was it tough on them? Because students here at least are very used or have grown uh, grown up with this traditional model of education where uh, the curriculum has been looking the same for the past 100 years. Um, and they just come in, they fulfill their coursework, and then they graduate after, I don't know, five-plus years, and nothing really changes. Um, so here they've gone through several iterations of their curriculum, Things obviously, when you, when you start a new school, there are things that work and things that we quickly realize that are not working, and we we have to change them. And and because of of how new we are and how small we are, we can actually change them very quickly. Uh, but it can also become frustrating frustrating for them uh, very quickly. So uh, we have we have managed to get them very involved, and they now feel very proud of having been part of this. But I don't think it's been an easy path uh, as it would have been in a traditional school that has been running for a hundred or more years. Sure, and in professional education, the the proof is in the pudding. So, how have 
how have uh, the how's the first class of UTEC students been received by the Peruvian marketplace? Uh, very well, actually. It's it's a very small class right now. We have ten graduates. Um, another forty or so coming in in August because we didn't finish in the five years. Yeah. Um, and they are either working. A few of them are actually doing a five plus one uh, master's program at at universities in in the U.S. Yep. Um, some of them have decided to do an exchange program attached to their to their degree. So after yep. the after obtaining their degree here, uh, one of them is actually uh, working on his own startup firm. So. Very different uh, outcomes, but in general, they're very positive. Nice. And I, I, why don't we take a little bit of a break? And after the break, why don't we come back and talk a little bit about some of what worked and didn't work and, and some of the evolution of, of, of where the uh, school is today. How's that? Sounds great. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, uh, Melanie Cornejo. Stay with us. And in the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, how tech has uh, evolved over the uh, the year since its inception. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Uh, the second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates Incorporated. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation that helps you transform your educational institution at 3Joy.com. And you can uh, make comments about the show on Twitter at hashtag BigBeacon. We return uh, and uh, from the break uh, with our, our guest from UTEC in Lima, Peru, uh, Melanie Corneco, the provost of the school. And, um, uh, you know, so, uh, Melanie, uh, you joined the school. You, were, you helped start up this uh, bioengineering program. And then somewhere along the way, you got asked to be the, uh, the provost. Um, uh, what's, uh, what have you learned in the change in positions from uh, heading up a, a bioengineering program to being the academic uh, executive director of the school? Yeah, that's definitely a big step in terms of responsibilities. 
Uh, it was a bit overwhelming before before I started in this new position, but after one year, I think uh, it's all under control now. But it's definitely uh, a big a big step up. Uh, but it's also very satisfying because many things can be done from this position very quickly. So before, um, when I was designing the bioengineering program, I had some limitations or um, there were some bottlenecks that I had to overcome and, and, and now I just feel that, that it's much easier to, to design new things, launch them immediately without, uh, without uh, much time being, being spent on that. So it's, it's, very, it's actually very good to be, to be in, this, in this new position because I feel that, that we can do many, many more things much faster. Well, so now you can be the bottleneck to other people. <laughs> I try not to. I try not to. I, and I, and I, maybe your experience with the job. But actually, some provosts at more traditional schools might be envious because um, what at, at, at your school, the, uh, is my, if my recollection is correct, the faculty don't, don't have tenure. So it's a little, it's a different, it's a different model of hiring and, and retention. What's, what's that like at UTEC? Yeah, so uh, I think it's good actually not to have tenure. Um, it keeps uh, it keeps our professors active and motivated uh, to improve both in their learning and teaching and learning side and also on the research side. Um, we have actually developed a faculty development model last year, which I think helps because at least they understand that there's a, a path that they can go through and that. Um, their performance uh, can it will be evaluated, and they can go on to to higher positions. Um, but the fact that we don't have tenure actually, I think, make it makes it more 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 active and and keeps them involved in, in everything that we try to do. Well, of course, uh, another. Uh Recent startup, or uh, not so now. It's it's going back to ninety nine. But Olin College also doesn't doesn't have tenure, and Olin also has been working lately on reworking its uh, its uh, uh, faculty development. What in in terms of your new uh, model for faculty development? What are the what are the things that uh, that uh, faculty without tenure do to uh, develop? to develop themselves? What are, what are some of the paths that are there for them? So it's actually the traditional path that you would have in the U.S., which we didn't have before, and it's actually not very common here in Peru where a professor comes in as an assistant professor and then moves his way up to associate professor and finally full professor, only that the full professor is not tenured, mm-hmm. right? But so to go up, you don't only need to show uh, a good... Um, research uh, portfolio, but now we are stressing the teaching and learning part a lot, which we didn't used to do before. So they were mostly evaluated by their research, and then they had to teach because it was just an obligation, but we didn't really um, evaluate their performance in the classroom and the engagement of the students and uh, the mentoring of the students very much. And then we have a third um, pillar that is 
more like service and leadership, uh, yeah. where we also measure how much they engage in, in, in uh, interdisciplinary committees or, or uh, non-academic initiatives they were launching at UTEC, um, how much they mentor students on their uh, undergraduate projects and, and things like that. So it's, it's really three different aspects that we evaluate and that they have to excel in in terms of uh, in, in order to, to progress in that path. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the last segment, you talked a little bit about um, that uh, in talking about the students and the challenges that they face. That there were the because it's a new school and and uh, you're facing uncertainty. So you do things, some things that you think will work, and some things will will not work. And you talked about the larger vision. What? Let's talk about the bright spots. What were some of the things that, to this point, you've just graduated your first class. You, you've got robust admissions uh, at at or near your uh, hoped for steady state. So it looks like you've passed some of the initial hurdles of 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 getting to the kind of size that you want to get to. But what were some of the things that uh, in that initial vision and and uh, that you put, that was put in place that have worked? that have been according to plan or have even turned out better than you'd hoped for? Yeah, so I think one of the, one of the bright spots is definitely the degree of internationalization of our students. Mm. So they are participating in many different initiatives uh, across the globe, really. Uh, as I mentioned, a few of them are doing their master's degree. Uh, many of them have already gone to uh, exchange programs uh, international research experiences. Four of them are part of the University Innovation Fellows Program at Stanford. Um, some of them have been at the Global Startup Lab at MIT. So it's just different initiatives that they have been part, part in and uh, from whom we've gotten very positive feedback about them. So the schools or the institutions that they have been to or that they have participated in um, have been very uh, positively impressed by, by their performance, not only on the disciplinary or technical side, but, but also in terms of these other skills or professional skills that we're trying to develop. And the same with um, the HR department of different local and global companies that are starting to hire them um, and have interviewed them also for internships. They are very impressed by, by the transformation that, that these students have gone through uh, because of their time at, at UTEC, which is definitely one of our most important pillars. Well, and and sometimes the, the reaction of the HR people and the as they intake uh, new employees is some of the best feedback we get on whether programs are working or not. What, it's still early, uh, in, as you said, the, the initial class mm-hmm. size is small, yeah. but, but what, are you, what are you hearing from HR our people about your kids? Uh, so they they like exactly what what we what we have in our vision, which is developing these or, or forming these these engineers that are not only technically uh, technical experts, but are also um, very efficient communicators, are uh, natural leaders, are definitely team players, um, and can basically solve complex problems of, of any type of, of area. 
right? So that's that's what what industry, at least here, has been complaining about um, uh, about in engineering in engineering students that have been graduated and graduating in the past I don't know twenty years, and now they're seeing a change in. in this generation that, that we are graduating. And it's not only the ones that have already graduated, but also the ones that are getting ready for their for their internship, which have, happens around their third year. Ah, so some of the feedback you're getting is from internship experiences with your kids in the yes. middle of their yes. education. Yeah. Yes. 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 So no, that's very that's very interesting. So what um what are what are some of the uh, you said, you know, talked about things that and it's sometimes it's hard to um, Talk about the things that don't work, but anyone that's tried to start a new school or a new program knows that there's stuff that you try that is diso- disappointing, and and actually some of the best learning can come from reflecting on 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 what's not what's not working or what hasn't worked as 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 well as you'd want. So, what what are some of the the things that you thought would be easy or thought would work that just have been difficult to uh, to push down the road? Yeah, I think one of the most uh, important challenges that, that we have faced and are still facing is the conversion of our faculty uh, to a non-traditional uh, educational model, right? So they, I would say the majority of our faculty comes from these more traditional schools or have been trained at these more traditional schools, and the natural thing for them to do is to continue on this path and to teach as they were taught or to continue teaching as they have been teaching for the past X years. So um, the communication step and, and, and making them understand what we're trying to do, making them uh, understand our vision and actually feel uh, part of our vision uh, and then transforming that vision to how they teach and, and bringing it to the classroom is, is one of the most, most uh, or the biggest challenges that, that we're still facing. So, and in, in, so, I, you know, so in talking to some of your faculty and, and interacting with you in the past, some, there is some subset of your faculty who get it and who had that yes. inclination to head in that direction. And they're off yes. doing many of the things you you want, but it's so interesting how powerful this culture is. You say you want it, you start with a blank piece of paper, you design this new school, you have a completely different governance structure, and yet that culture, that old culture that was inculcated in a previous educational experience walks in the door with the new hires, even though they say they want to be part of this, uh, this new thing, what, they, what ends up happening in practice is a lot of the old stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just hard to change in general. So, yeah, it's well, something it, that we have constantly have to reinforce and constantly retrain, retrain them or re- remind them of what we're trying to do and actually monitor that they are they are doing it in the classroom and not only saying that they are doing it. But yeah, it's a it's a it's something that we'll have to keep keep an eye on and keep monitoring and keep trying to change so uh, so what things and yeah so and I can hear that this is continues to be a deep deep challenge what um, are there are there things that you've done that seem to 
have worked at least a little bit? What 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 practices seem to come in easily, or or, or what things actually can migrate into practice, and and um, or maybe not even, or or with maybe it's with some subset. What what subset of people yeah. seem amenable to taking on the the new stuff? What 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 part? Where where are the bright spots in the in the in the the sea of negativity here that it, this it's, this is a challenge that a lot of people face. So what, where's the, yeah. where's the good news in this? Yeah. So there have been some conversions from detractors to change leaders actually, which have been very surprising and, and positive for me. But I think one of, one of the things that really helped last year, which was actually my first, first year's provost was to include the faculty much more in the, in the process of change. So, uh, bringing them on early and saying, okay, yeah. we need to change how we're teaching, we need to change the content, we're, we need to change the methodology, and bringing them in uh, to be part of this change and giving them the tools to change has, has really helped. And, and some of the things that we have done is, is having these uh, faculty-wide uh, workshops for them where we bring in uh, experts from from abroad that have gone through these things and can give them some guidance, but also giving them local support. Yep. So I started sending out these weekly papers to them on new methodologies for teaching and learning. Then we have these sort of journal clubs or, or just gatherings where we review these papers, talk about them, what what can work, what cannot work here. And then we're actually launching a center for educational innovation in March, which is supposed to train them, but also um, give them constant support in, through the change. So actually say, okay, you need to change the format of your class, the methodology, but we are here to help you. And we're probably not the experts, but we are a, a resource that, that is here for you and that will walk, walk with you through this change. So I think that has helped to make them feel more comfortable and 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 willing to actually change. So the so part of what you said was that interested me was the um, the surprising converts. So yeah. there were people who converted you didn't expect. What in talking to them? What 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 changed changed them? What got them on board from being detractors to uh, <laughs> at the at the vanguard? Yeah, it depends. Uh, so a few of them uh, we sent for trainings to different parts of the world, actually, for a week or so, and yeah. they they came back completely changed with a different mindset and willing to do things differently, and that, that definitely helped. And others were just out of the blue. One day they said this was not possible, and the next day they come up, came up with this brilliant idea of how they wanted to change things and uh, then became one of the most important change leaders, which is still surprising to me, but these things also happen. But in most cases, it was just getting them involved, giving them the resources, establishing contacts, and actually sending them out to other places to see that that things can be done differently and that they're working uh, at other places. Yes, and seeing yeah, seeing that you're not alone, and seeing how others do things yeah. can often be an influence. Also, I think sometimes people see the results. So sometimes people are moved by a student who's changed by a different 
way of showing up and that that changing rather than changing their mind they change their heart and mm-hmm. and, exactly. and jump in in a different way yeah why don't we ta- let's take another break and come come back and uh, after the break why don't we talk a little bit about uh, where Utec is uh, headed uh, headed next how okay. about that all right yeah Sounds Big good. Beacon Radio with special guest uh, Melanie Cornejo and in the next segment we're going to talk about where Utec is headed you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. The final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon itself. If, to sponsor the show, uh, write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org. We've got some um, some high-profile uh, sponsors joining us starting in February. And to learn more about how you can sponsor the show, um, send me an email or, or give me a call by uh, making an appointment at meetwithdavegoldberg.com and we'll We'll talk about your educational change initiative and and uh, how we can get it on the air. So we're back with Melanie Cornejo from Mutech in Lima, Peru, and and Melanie. In the last segment, we were talking about some of the bright spots and some of the um, the challenges uh, um, and the kind of uh, conversion of uh, faculty from the old ways to the new ways continues to um, be challenging and and. Uh, there are no silver silver bullets that get people to convert. I um, many of the things that you talk about resonate with uh, you know, what I've observed is seeing people change. I, I I I think oftentimes though the change can be a sudden one, like you were describing. That somewhere there's something that happens, and that something that happens changes someone not in their head, but more emotionally. There's an emotional conversion, and then all the head stuff kind of falls into places that anyways that's my observation i'm curious what your experience is along those lines when people do suddenly change yeah that's that's definitely correct and i also felt that by seeing things by by seeing how others were dealing with things they they realized how how they could also change and it was definitely first an an emotional decision that they made right because you have to let go all your 
beliefs and paradigms and, and restrictions maybe, and then you can uh, really rationalize it and, and decide to do to go along with this change and, and buy it, so to speak. Yeah, and when you when you go countercultural, when you go against this tradition, you're going against you're going against really almost ten centuries of university practice. <laughs> when you kind of head in this this direction and and kind of um, focus um, in this way, and and I it can be I think it's I think it's emotionally scary, and that people. Uh, of course, in 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 research universities, to spend too much of your time on teaching is considered uh, un- unwise and even foolish. And so, the heading in that direction can be scary for people that have gone to traditional schools. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, anyways, before we let you off the hook, what other what other um, um, challenges or uh, things that were harder to do than you thought they should be were there in, in the early experience at UTEC? For me, one of the hardest things uh, being a provost is that you're really in between or in the middle uh, of the academic side and the more admin side, and I often feel that I'm uh, really being the referee <laughs> So I'm being the provost. I should be on the academic side, but I obviously have to interact a lot with with the different departments, like the finance department, marketing, uh, HR, and and so on. And and they are more often than not in conflict with what the academics want. And so I need to uh, mediate these conflicts and try to uh, satisfy both sides and come to a, to a middle ground. Uh, between what each of them what what each of them want, so that's that's one of the the things that maybe I haven't figured out completely yet, and that I'm still trying to to find the best strategy. Um, but that's very personal, and that's that's very uh, directly related to being a provost here here at Utec or or at a university in general. But it's not a challenge that the whole university faces, but in terms of other challenges um, that we're facing, it's uh, maybe more regulatory. So we have uh, the Ministry of Education has a department that regulates higher education, and they put a lot of restrictions onto universities, which is good on one side because it gets rid of all the informal uh, universities that have been around for, for quite a long time here in Peru. But it also limits you in, in, in certain ways and in, in what you can do. And I know that's something that you and I talked about when you were visiting here. Um, and it's not, it's not as easy as in other places to be disruptive and to completely change the educational model because you have these restrictions. But I think that we have a good relationship with this department uh, now. They understand what we're trying to do and they are trying to be as flexible as they can, uh, but it's still it's still challenging sometimes. Yeah, and I guess I've seen uh, in your country and other countries in South America that 
you know, that both, it's not just the Ministry of Education, but it's also the engineering professional societies that, exactly. that can get get in the exactly. act. And, and um, so the, the kind of education that is a good education for a young engineer is the same education that someone on the board of the professional society had when they were a student 75 years ago or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, that's t- that can that can um, that can can be difficult. So um, so turning away from kind of challenges for the moment and talking a little bit about the future and opportunity. What what are some of the uh, what are some of the things on on UTEC's uh, uh, near term horizon in terms of plans? So we are launching a new educational model now in March. So one of my main Objective last year, my first year as a provost, was to really revise the educational model that we have to make sure that it's aligned with with the vision and that the outcomes uh, will be aligned with what we had planned for or or envisioned at the beginning. Uh, So we made uh, quite a few changes in the whole uh, curriculum and the structure of of the educational model as a whole, and we're launching that now, uh, in March, we're preparing for that. We have a impl- plan of implementation in place. And the other thing that I mentioned before is also the launch of this Center for Educational Innovation that I think uh, goes hand-in-hand hand with, with the first thing I mentioned, but will be very important for our faculty to really buy in and to feel supported along the way. Yeah, and so... Um like are, are in in terms of the plan and the, that alignment, are there some uh, some big rocks that are really important that that were kind of obvious and needed to be done? What what are some of the what are some of the I, I you know usually those plans are quite detailed, but what are some of the big things that are changing to give the audience a sense of how you've shifted after some reflection? Uh, so we changed. So now we have a common year for all the programs. Uh, before a student came in to say the mechanical engineering program and started taking mechanical engineering uh, courses from the first day. Now we have a common core of the first one and a half years, and we really um, we really revise the contents of each one of those those courses to make sure that they they are contextualized and the, the, that we minimize the content, but we maximize the context of each yeah. of them and also make them very connected one to the other so that students really understand why they are learning these, these fundamentals for engineering. Um, and then we also have now a fourth year. So all of our programs are five year by default and by regulation. They have to be. Yes. The fourth year, uh, we are uh, we have left it very open and flexible, so that our students can actually go uh, for a one-year internship program or a one-year exchange program, and have a real-life experience that will then um, feed into their thesis or capstone project, which is also something new that we have added. So, and and another thing is that all the courses, from the fundamental courses to the more advanced engineering courses, are very uh, project-based, um, introduce a lot of active learning methodologies and that are really experiential rather than theoretical as they used to be before. 
Yeah, it sounds uh, like some exciting changes coming. And then you you mentioned the Educational Innovation Center and and uh, yep. that how that was there to to help. What uh, uh, how's how's that organized? What's its function? So the idea is that it will train uh, our faculty, incoming faculty, and existing faculty, and all these new tools for teaching and learning. But it will also give them constant support if they feel that something is not working for them or they they want to innovate in their course but don't know how. So the idea is that we'll, we'll give them uh, support throughout the process of, of educational innovation and then they will launch that, that new class or new course and we'll mon- monitor how it's going. We'll help them iterate if something is still not working. So it's just a matter of, of showing them that, that, uh, that there's something someone here for them and that we're not we're not expecting them to change but not giving them the tools or the resources to do so sounds sounds great so um uh, given the uh now we've talked a little bit about um and actually i'm i'm a little curious about uh, this cultural question. We talked about the culture of the faculty coming in, and yet you are having an effect on the students and how they view um, uh, how they view their role in the world and what they do in the world. And so, so, um, so, the, so I and I and, and in in a whole new engineer, we argue that yes, content and curriculum are a part of that, but it's actually the culture. That is the is a primary repository of people coming out different. That 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 being differently with them is what enables people, and that a culture of obedience will beget obedient students, as we've had in the past. So so where yeah. is it? Where is it? so? But I'm hearing that uh, in the internship experiences, the HR people, the experiences overseas that the kids are being unleashed in certain ways. So what is it about the culture of UTEC that's turned out differently despite some of the concerns you have about kind of old, old-fashioned old faculty stuck in the old ways? Yeah, no, I think that in general it's a very horizontal culture and, and we really try to foster um, a close interaction with the students. Uh, we really want them to feel... And that's what we we all uh, we're all told when we join UTEC that we are here to support them through their uh, professional education, and that we are um, that we really believe in them, and that we have chosen them for a reason. You know, like it's not they're not here because of a mistake. Uh, they're here because they should yeah. be here, and we are we are betting for them. You know, so that's what we try to, that's, that's what we try to always uh, show our students and, and also the people that, that work here, right? So in general, the students uh, like that, like the closeness that, or, or the, the easiness that they have to interact with any of us, really, because they can come look for me or they can come look for the HR director and, and we have a very open door uh, culture and and we have many activities uh, that include obviously the students. So it's it's a really close close relationship that we try to to foster. 
so I think that's what they that's what they like and that's what empowers them to to go further and to try to develop these other skills that that are so important. Yeah, so it's interesting in what you just said. I'm hearing two I'm hearing sort of two things in that. One is they believe the story that you tell. And the, mm-hmm. the story is a different story and uh, and Mark and I repeat that over and over and people don't believe how important it is, but that if you have a different story and you stick with it and are authentic uh, with that story, that that students will believe it and they will be different. But then the other piece, even if the faculty are kind of old-fashioned, I'm hearing that they do connect and they do think that it's their job to um, help add value to uh, these young people on the way out the door. And so that, uh, anyways, it just sounds like... um, Anyways, it's uh, exciting times for UTech and, and wish you all the best. Uh, we, we've just got a few seconds left, but if people want to contact you or find out more about UTech, where can they go to do that? Well, they can go to the website at utech.edu.pe or they can email me directly at mcornejo at utech.edu.pe as well. Melanie, thanks so much for joining us today and best best wishes to all of my colleagues at UTech as you go forward. Thank you very much, Dave. You've been Talk listening to Big Yeah, thanks for being on the show. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio Transforming Higher Education. Special thanks to our guest Melanie Cornejo from, from UTEC in Lima, Peru. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.